we're going through our our uh, our mission series that we go through in every beginning of every year. Uh, Miles last week went through connecting with God, and today we are talking about connecting with one another. So that's what we're going through. The first question to ask, well, actually, the first thing to do is we should pray, and then we'll get started. How about that? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord God, that we have to approach your word and hear from you. Father God, I pray that you'd help me order my thoughts. Lord, we pray that you would uh, speak to your people. And Lord, I just uh, thank you so much for the opportunity. And I pray, Lord God, that you would be glorified as we approach your word. And Lord, that your word would comfort us where we need comfort, that it would correct us where we need correction. Lord, and it would, uh, that it would do everything that you promised that it will do. We pray that for that today. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right. Life in connection with one another. Um, it's part of our mission at Cross Connection Church. And the first question that comes up is why? Why is that important? And point one in your outline, if you're ready to take notes, we're going to get right into our outline here. Get the fingers warmed up. Point number one, it is not good to be alone. In Genesis chapter 2, verses uh, 15 through the end of the chapter there, we read that the Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day you eat of it, you will certainly die. And then the Lord God said, this is verse 18, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The thing to notice there is that this is before sin, this is before sin has entered the picture, everything is perfect, everything is good in the garden as it was created, except for one thing. And God looked at that and said, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, like just about everything we come across, God realizes this long before Adam does. So God leads Adam to that same conclusion through circumstances. And so the Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sea, every bird of the sky, and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for man, no helper was found corresponding to him. God brought all the animals, brought the rooster and the hen, brought the boar and the sow, brought the bull and the cow, all of them before Adam, and Adam named them. And through this process, he was looking and went, everything's in a pair. Everything has two parts, and I, I'm here all alone. And that's when Adam realizes, hey, it's not good for man to be alone, just like God already figured it out. So, verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come on the man, and he slept. God took one of the ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib that he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last. That's how we know that it took a while. At last, Adam's like, oh, at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman for she was taken from man. And this, verse 24 says, is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. So there they were in the garden, alone, in perfect community, the two of them, no sin in the picture, nothing separating them, not even clothing. Now, I taught youth ministry for 20 years. We are so much better at adults at not laughing out loud at these parts, but I know for some of us, there's still that <laughs> inside. 
Get it out, we'll get past it. Because the whole point here is that they are naked and unashamed. Which, it's interesting to read, but then if you think about it, what does that actually mean? There's no distance, there's no defense, there's no hiding from each other. Everything is just wide open. That is not the case for us now. We're going to see why that is in just a second. Um, But we look at this and we see this perfect community. We see that God himself is community. His Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three distinct persons in one God created us to be in community. It is not good for man to be alone. It's the same thing still. It is not good for us to be alone. And so God creates others and puts us around each other. Genesis chapter 3, if you flip over to the next page, at least in my Bible, Adam and Eve had one rule. It was don't eat from that one tree. Everything else was permissible. There was one rule. Wouldn't life be so much easier if we had one rule? And yet, they had one rule, and they broke that rule. And there's a, you know, you can read about that a little further. We're going to go a little bit further down from that. Um, It said, then the man, after they ate, the first thing they did, the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, so they they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The first thing they realized is that I need to protect myself. I can no longer be wide open. Now there is shame. Now there is hiding from each other. There's embarrassment. All these things are right there. And so immediately we see the first sin enters and wrecks everything. And the first consequence is that shame, that shame, that hiding. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God. This is Genesis 3 verse 8. And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? which is kind of an ironic picture because they're in God's garden, in God's creation, and they think that they can hide. But see, this is another thing of sin. It has, we're convinced that we can hide from the effects of our sin. We can think we can hide the fact that we are sinning, and it becomes this, this even greater fig leaf, if you would, that we try to hide behind and pretend like, oh, that's not us, that's not me, I don't act that way. And God says, where are you? And Adam says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And then he asked him, the first thing he asked him isn't, what did you do? It's, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Then we see the second consequence here of sin. And Adam says, it's the woman. She, She gave it to me. And God doesn't go, come on, Adam. He, he goes to Eve, Eve, what about this? And she said, well, it's a serpent. The second consequence we see here of sin, the second thing that causes this break in their fellowship or their community is personal responsibility. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Both Adam and Eve blame somebody else. And we see that sin distances us from God. We try to hide from God and it breaks the community that we have together. This is still the case even now. Um, If you flip over a little bit further to Genesis chapter 4, which for me is just another page. Verses 1 through 9, it says, The man was intimate with his wife Eve and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of the flocks, but Cain worked the ground. 
And verse 3, in the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. Cain and Abel both bring a sacrifice to God. God looks at Cain's and goes, not like that, looks at Abel's and goes, that's the sacrifice that I want. Cain gets mad. He sees what, how come, how come you like his and not mine? What? And so he starts having a temper tantrum and God in his kindness comes to Cain and says, why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. God says, why are you angry? If you do what's right, won't you be accepted? It wasn't a problem with the kind of sacrifice. It wasn't like, yeah, God's like, I don't, I don't like that thing. It was the heart. He said, you offered, the, he offered this with the right heart. You offered this without the right heart. If you do what is right, you're going to be accepted, God told him. But then he warns him, but if you do what is wrong, sin is crouching at your door using the picture of like a lion. The sin is crouching at your door and it wants you. It wants to destroy you and you must rule over it. That is still the same picture of sin that we deal with today. Sin is waiting for us. And when we do the wrong thing, it is crouching there and we have to, have to master over it or it will master over us. So Cain here is left with a choice. Cain says to his brother Abel in verse 8, let's go out in the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's guardian? We are one generation from the Garden of Eden. We are one generation removed from absolute and complete perfect connection between two humans. The very next generation we have siblings, we have sibling murder. One generation out of the garden. Cain chooses to murder Abel instead of choosing what is to do, choosing to do the right thing. Instead of choosing right, he says, it's easier to murder my brother. Now, we often have this same thing. We often choose the same way. For us, it's much easier to murder a relationship than it is sometimes to ask for forgiveness or give forgiveness or do the right thing. It's easier for us to go, well, I'm never talking to that person again. That person, they did that. I can't believe they did that. Or I can't believe they said that to me. I'm never speaking to them again. And we're just like Cain and Abel. We take the relationship and we murder it rather than deal with the consequences of our sin or do what God has called us to do and forgive others. Abel is killed for just doing the right thing. All Abel did was do the right thing. And he was killed for it. Often, we will be treated that same way. Doing the right thing is often not popular with sinners. And unfortunately, is often not pop popular among saints. Sometimes when we choose to do the right thing, it is going to have a cost. Relationships are going to be impacted. Friendships will die. Sometimes all we do is the right thing and we will still suffer those consequences. And then... Cain responds to God's, like, where's your brother? Am I my brother's guardian? Am I responsible for him? It's like, well, yeah, 
We are. We're responsible for each other. That's what God calls us to be. But Cain is like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not in charge of that. And he's like, but you're the one that killed him. When we are not held responsible for our actions, we only get worse. The more of anything that we have, the wider the effects of sin are going to be on the people around us. Adultery in two families is very destructive. It destroys two families generally. But when one of them is Bathsheba and the other one is King David, the effects are so much wider. Lying destroys relationships between people. If one is lying who has political power, that can result in war and the death of millions of people. We need to be held responsible for our actions or we only get worse. This is all part and parcel of being human. We are one people that has been shattered by sin. Oh, I missed point two. Oh. Go back to point two real quick. <laughs> point two in your outline, which will be quickly followed by point three now. It is hard to be together. Point one, it's not good to be alone. Point two, it is hard to be together. We are not good at being together. Pretend we did that in the right order. Point three in your outline, wearing out pens and pencils and hands today, we need Jesus desperately. The only cure for the problems that we have with sin is Jesus. Jesus is the cure for sin and its effects. The law does not work. We know this because currently, as of 2020 anyway, California had 395,608 regulatory restrictions. 395,608. We've solved all the problems, right? There's no more problems left in the state of California, right? Well, it wasn't quite. Because in 2024, we added, as of January 1st, 2024, we added 890 new bills in California. So now we've clearly solved it, right? The problem is, the law cannot change the human heart. The law can try to restrict it, but it cannot change the human heart. The law shows our guilt. We see this in Galatians 23, Galatians 3, 24 to 26, says the law then was our guardian until Christ. Another translation says it's a schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. The law is meant to point us to Christ because we find that we cannot fulfill the law. The law lays out structures and we cannot fulfill them. And you get to human law, not even God's law, you get to human law, and all of a sudden you find that we have laws that are contradictory, there's no the laws that are applied unjustly, the only cure for sin and its effects in our lives is not the law, it is Jesus. We're no longer, but it says in verse 25, but since the faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. The law shows us our guilt. Jesus sets us free from the guilt of law-breaking and paying, of the law-breaking by paying our price. Jesus was sacrificed as an offering for our sin. He was a payment for our sin, our own sin was a death sentence. If we were put to death, that would only be our just desserts for being sinners. That's the penalty. Jesus shows up, has never sinned, does not sin, suffers as, and dies as a sinner, and rises again, which buys us freedom from sin and death. And as soon as we accept that, we are, 
given the position of being guiltless before God. So now we, as Christians, as the body of Christ, we have a bond together through this. Positionally, we are now guiltless before God. Positionally, we are like Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. That's the position that God sees us as because we are covered by the blood of Christ. He does not see our sin. He sees Jesus. Experientially, we know that we really stink at being guiltless because we find ways to be guilty over and over and over again. So then where do we find help at learning how to be more like Jesus, who's the second Adam? Point four in your outline. Seems like we're going through it fast. We are. Four is a long one. It'll be all right. Point four, God uses us to help each other. God gives us gifts, talents, and abilities that are meant to be used in community with each other. Romans chapter 12, we're going to flip there really quick. I can do it really quick because I have the tabs in my Bible. Little Pharisee tabs to make it look like I'm really good at this. Oh, here we are. <laughs> Romans chapters 12, starting in 4. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching, possibly even in the children's ministry. Just going to throw that out there. If, exhort, if, if exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. We are one single organism as the body of Christ, and we have many, many parts. Each part is important, even when we don't know why. Sometimes we struggle to find a use for the people around us in the body of Christ. We can look around and go, I'm trying to won't make any eye contact with anybody here. <laughs> I don't know why this person's here, Lord. They don't seem to have any purpose at all in the body of Christ. We look at them kind of like we do. We used to look at like the tonsils or the appendix. They are just weird portions of the body that aren't there for any particular reason. So we just get rid of them. And yet, as we increase in our medical wisdom, we find out that both the appendix and the tonsils have valid functions. Do we have people that have no purpose? No, not at all. God put all of us together in the body for a reason to minister to each other. Do we sometimes feel like we have no purpose in the body of Christ? Yeah, sometimes we do. That is no more true for you than it is for anybody else. God placed you in the body of Christ on purpose with gifts, talents, and abilities to be used for the building up the body as a whole. Every one of us are important. Every one of us are vital. Each part of us affects all of the other parts of a, all the other parts of the body. When one part suffers, he says, all suffer. If you want an object lesson in this, stub your toe. And all of a sudden, oh, my toe is suffering and it is affecting my entire body. I actually broke my pinky toe at one point, so, and it never quite healed the right way. So I have like a floppy pinky toe, which of course is the one that always catches on anything when you walk by and it's like, Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. When one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. There's this scene in Castaway where Tom Hanks is on the island, he's stranded there, and he's got a tooth with an abscess. And it is like making him 
miserable. It is destroying every part of his life at this point. So he grabs the ice skate and the rock and does some at-home dentistry there. And we all feel that when we see it. And it's like, oh, man. There's times in the body where some part needs treatment. There are times when we're not okay. There are times when we look at it and go, God, there, there's a problem here. And yet so often, we would never look at somebody with a broken arm and go, well, why don't you do your part and help carry this stuff? But sometimes when it comes to the body of Christ, we look at somebody who's having a hard time, somebody who's, who's broken in some way, and we look at them like, well, well, they're just clearly not pulling their weight. They just need to do better. They need to be, no. We are there to minister to each other. When somebody is having a hard time, we are called to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We are called to lift each other up and to take care of each other. And yet so often, we're looking at amputating appendixes and cutting out tonsils. Every part of the body is valuable. Every part. God has given each one of us gifts. Some gifts seem cooler than others. Sometimes we look at our gifts and go, why well, I really wish I had a different gift. We don't get to make that call. God gives us gifts and says, I want you to use the gifts that I've given you to build up the body around you. God, I don't, I don't know how that's gonna work. God uses the gifts that he's given his body to benefit and build his body. That's what life in community is, what life in connection is. Um, flip over to Ephesians chapter four really quick. Going through our Bible gymnastics today, which once again, I have my tab so I can get there before everybody else and look. Oh. <laughs> Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse one, Paul saying, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling that you have received with all humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Paul says, starting out here, walk worthy. I want you to walk in a manner that is worthy, to live in a manner that is worthy with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Interesting that the gifts that he's talking about are not gifts that benefit the individual. They are gifts that benefit the body as we live in connection with each other. I don't need patience with myself very often. I need patience as I deal with other people. I don't need kindness very much for myself, but I need kindness with other people. We, the gifts that he's given to us are meant to be used in the context of community with each other. And then he says, let me get it exactly right, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Making every effort. When he says making every effort, what does that mean? It's going to require effort. It means it's going to be work. Very often, we want unity to show up as a feeling before it shows up in a practice. We want to feel unity before we do unity. But it doesn't work that way. The feeling follows the action. 
We are called, we are required to live in unity. Unity's hard. Unity is not natural in a sinful world. Unity is not natural in a sinful people. Unity requires constant focus and effort. Unity requires that we look for ways to show unity. Um, I was watching a, uh, a goofy reel the other day, and there was a lady, she was talking about red cars. And she asked the guy that she was talking to, do you see any red cars today on your way to work? He was like, probably. And she said, if I had offered you $50 for every red car you saw on the way here today, would you remember how many red cars you saw? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I remembered every single one of them. She said, that's what the world looks at and says luck. It's intention. Unity is out there. We have to look for opportunities to maintain unity, to build unity, to hold on to unity, as he says, in the bond of peace, to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And he says, there is one body. But we know from practice that we are one body, the church of Jesus Christ, but we are constantly in rejection. We are constantly pushing each other away. We're constantly putting on fig leaves, if it were, to, to make sure that we're hiding from other people. We're marked by dysfunction, and yet God calls us to unity. How do we do this? It requires work. Unity does not just happen. Unity requires work. Flip over to Colossians chapter three. Now, don't you wish I had given you guys these ahead of times and you could put tabs in and be like, hey, look at me, I'm right there. And I still can't find it, there we go. Colossians chapter three. We're going to go through this, uh, a good portion of this chapter. We're going to start with the first four verses. So, if you have been raised with Christ, Colossians chapter 3, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. As we go through this chapter, notice the action verbs that are in there. These are things that we are called to do. So he says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. For you died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So he starts out saying, seek the things above. Seek, look for those things that are godly. Look for those things. And then he says, when you find them, set your mind on it. Now, the, uh, the Greek word there has the idea of like taking something and setting it on something else. So take your mind and set it on things above. Place it there, put it there, keep it there. Because we know that when we try to focus on the things above, our flesh is going to want to look at everything else. It's going to want to go every other direction. No, we have to put our mind there. Therefore, he says in verse 5, put to death what belongs in your earthly nature, sexual immorality, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient, and you once walked in these things when you were living among them, but now put away all the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. So he says, put those things to death. Put, when he says, put it to death. That requires effort. 
That means we have to look at those things that he calls us to put to death and put a stake in its heart and leave it there dead. Put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. Those are all things that break community. Those are all things that distort connection. He says, put those things to death. When something is dead, it doesn't have the same effect anymore. He calls us to put that, he's, I want those things dead. But then he tells us in verse 12, put on. So we put off the things that are away, put those things away, don't lie, put on the new self. He says, when he says put on, it's the idea, the word has the idea of putting on a uniform or putting on armor or robing yourself in this. He says put on the new self. You're being renewed in the knowledge according to your image of your creator. And he says in Christ, there are, there's not these arbitrary differences. There's not Jew and Greek. There's not barbarian and Scythian. We are one body in Christ. It's a good thing we've got that figured out then we won't have any more problems, right? But then he goes, bear with one another. In verse 13, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Now this is a very, very vital point. He says, forgive one another. He doesn't say go to the person and ask for forgiveness. He says, forgive them. Very often, we want to wait till somebody asks us to forgive them or we want to go to them and say, well, I'm forgiving you for what you did. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is saying, Lord, I will not hold this against them anymore. I am going to erase it from my heart. And the reason why that is so important is because unforgiveness is too heavy for any of us to carry. We cannot go anywhere if we are carrying unforgiveness. It will hamper us every step of the way. I can tell you this, because I'm really, really good at trying to carry that. I'm really good at going, well, that person, they did this, and I'm... And God says, no, I want you to forgive them. But they don't even know why I'm forgiving them. They don't have to know. You're not forgiving them for them. You're not forgiving them for you. You're forgiving them, God says, for me. Because I forgave you. <sighs> well, it's really hard to carry this when you put it that way, Lord. It's like, that's the point. Get rid of it. Take the forgiveness. Give forgiveness, take off that weight. So he says, forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ to which you were called in one body rule your hearts. He says, put on love, because that's where unity is. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So as we go throughout our day and the opportunity arises to lash out at, let's take an example that nobody struggles with, children or a spouse or something like that. And he says, no, I want you to put on love, which is unity, forgive, and let the peace of Christ rule your heart. This does not come naturally to us. This is not something where we're like, okay, I'm a Christian now and these things are all gone. 
When I became a Christian, I had been uh, working on the trucking docks. And if you had talked to me, you would be able to tell that I was not, you know, that I didn't become a Christian in a church. I had a horrendous mouth. I had a vocabulary that was marked by certain adjectives that I couldn't seem to get a sentence out without. When I became a Christian, that disappeared. I didn't pray for it. I didn't ask for it. It was just gone. And I remember one day a conversation I had with my wife and she said, you know what? You don't cuss anymore. And it totally took me aback. Like, I don't. Well, that's weird. <laughs> it's just gone. But see, God left me other things. I was a smoker and God left me with that one, which quite honestly, it probably would have been easier if he'd just left me with cussing and took smoking. Um, <laughs> but I, that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do was quit smoking. And it is one of those things that it, it, God let me struggle with that one for a long time. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons he let me struggle with that is so that I would know, don't ever be stupid enough to pick that up again. Because it's one of those things, if I pick that up again, I would be a smoker blissfully in a second. But because I had to struggle with it, it's like, no, I'm not touching that again. That is too hard to put down. I am not picking that back up. It requires work. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, he says, and be thankful. Calls us to do the work and says, and then be thankful about it. Like, Lord, this is a tall order. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you, not in you, among you, he says. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So we see thankful bracketing this whole thought. Be thankful in gratitude. But notice what he says in verse 16 there. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Teaching and admonishing one another. Part of a pastor's role is to teach, but that does not exempt any of us in the body from teaching and admonishing one another. It is a gift, it is a calling, it is something that God tells us to do here. He says, I want you, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, in your mind, in your hearts, and then teach each other about it. Well, <laughs> there was a time when I was asked to teach and I looked at that and I was like, you are out of your mind. I am never doing that. And God chuckles. But it's not the position that we're called to teach from. It's because we're Christians. We are called to teach one another. We're not accepted from that. We're not, we can't dump that on those guys with that gift. Certain things we all have to do as Christians, and this is one of them that he lists there. Admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Thankfulness is a huge mark of this. And then he says, <laughs> this is where it gets painful. Um, we're running short on time, so we are going to uh, miss a little bit of uh, verses 18 and on. I know that's always hard for people. Um, so we're not going to get to the wives submit to your husbands and the husband loves your wives and parents don't exasperate your children, you know, slaves and masters, all that stuff. Sometimes, you know, 
If you inhabit one of those roles, read those on your own, or even if you're really a glutton for punishment, read it with your spouse. And then you could ask each other, do you feel like you submit to me? Do you feel as if you love me as Christ loved the church? You want to go get coffee? Yeah, let's do that. So, in jest, but it's not, you know, entirely in jest. But look at verse 23 where he closes this chapter out. He says, whatever you do, whatever it is that you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. He says, whatever these things you do, all the gifts, talents, and abilities, whenever you're operating in connection with one another, do it from the heart as if you're doing it for God. You know, I'm convinced that one of the reasons he says that is because if we were doing it for people, we would stop doing it about the third time. Because it's like the first time it'd be like, hey, you know, uh, God really, uh, you know, he doesn't want you to act the way you're acting. How about I punch you in the nose? Well, this is weird. God, you told me to. But if we do it for God, we're going to be willing to take those steps even when it's painful, even when it's embarrassing, even when we don't feel qualified for it, but God puts it on our heart. He says, I want you to maintain unity, but not unity at the expense of love. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. Remember who it is you serve, Christian. We serve Jesus and we serve each other. And then, because he knows the objection is going to show up, in verse 25, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done and there is no favoritism. The wrongdoer will be paid back, God says. But that's his responsibility. It is not our responsibility to punish people for their wrongdoing. Sometimes we want to be in that role. We want to be those that are like, ho, 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 buddy. But God says, no, you're going to maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And I will repay. And sometimes that's hard because sometimes we are affected deeply by the things that other people do. Sometimes we are hurt in ways that are extremely difficult, if not almost impossible to recover from, from other people. And we want to see them pay. We want justice. I was having a conversation with somebody earlier and they were talking about, you know, it's, it's hard because you see people, you see horrendous criminals out there. You see people that do horrible things and all they would have to do is repent at the end and God would welcome them. And that is hard for us to wrestle with sometimes. That's hard for us to deal with. Like, no, I, I, I don't want the thought that Jeffrey Dahmer at the end could go, you know what, Jesus, I'm sorry. That's not enough payment. Jesus sees enough value in each and every one of us that his sacrifice is worth it no matter what we have done. None of us are so distant that God is going to go, yeah, no, I have no use for you anymore. And it's very easy to look at Jeffrey Dahmer or somebody like that and go, well, they're not worth it. But me, you know, I'm kind of a catch. Sin is sin in the eyes of the Lord. He sees enough value in each and every one of us that his sacrifice was worth it. 
Um, I realize this is kind of a long chapter. If you need the Cliff Notes version, we're going to flip over to Ephesians chapter 4 really quick, which I'm already there through the beauty of these little tabs. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. This is the Cliff Notes version. This is the one you want to write on a post-it note and stick it on your mirror. This is the one you want to memorize. This is the one you want to put on your desktop at work. If you have kids my age, this may sound familiar because this was in one of the auto be goods and they sang it and I can still hear the song in my head every single time it goes through. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God forgave you in Christ. This is the best way to have unity to have connection in the body of Christ is to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other the way that Christ forgave us because we are going to continue to need to give forgiveness and to be given forgiveness in order to do this thing that we call living life in connection. Without that, there's no possibility of unity. We have to be able to be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. Point five in your outline. As we are here at the end, Point five, not being an active part of the body is defying God. God has called all of us who are Christians to be part of his body, and when we choose not to be an active, an active part of the body, we're defying God, and when we defy God, we call that sin. God calls all of us to fill the role that he has given to us, to be kind to one another, forgiving, tenderhearted. All of the things we've talked about, he calls us to those things. Last thing we're going to flip to really quick, and the worship team is going to come up. Matthew chapter 28. Last time we're turning around, I promise you guys. Bible fingers are getting tired. Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse 19. This is where Jesus appears to his disciples. He's with his disciples right before he leaves. This is his last conversation with them. And he says to them in verse 19, Go therefore into all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go make disciples of all nations. People are the mission. Teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything, to observe everything I've commanded. People are the mission. People are the problem. God sends us out to people because people are problems. But the crazy thing is, is that God uses people to bring the solution. We are in every part of this equation. We're the mission, we're the problem, and we carry the solution with us. So the exhortation here at the end is to go and make disciples, teach them to do what Jesus taught, and remember that Jesus is with us always. Let's worship together.